Our scripture text this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Listen for a word from God. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd was gathered and they were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Also visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. And address them, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the message you have for us today. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, when I was 19 years old, I served as an AmeriCorps member in Seattle, Washington. And one of my volunteer roles, one of my positions, was to assist a teacher in a bilingual orientation center classroom. There were 23 elementary school students in this class, and of those 23, there were 16 different languages represented. This school was part of a refugee resettlement program, and so kids had come from literally all over the world, some under very intense circumstances, and they found themselves in this classroom in West Seattle. So my job as an AmeriCorps volunteer was to help the teacher, maybe to do some one-on-one tutoring, to assist the kids in the class, 
and I was just getting used to it. It was my second week on the job, and I went to go for my normal time in this classroom during math, and before I even got into the door, the teacher rushed at me and said, I've had an emergency, I've got to go, you're in charge, teach them place value. And she pushed me in the door, closed it behind her, and left. There I was looking out at 23 8 through 11-year-old students who spoke 16 different languages with the instruction to teach them place value. Have you ever tried to explain place value even to fluent English-speaking adults? It is an intense process. I will say that that experience in itself prepared me to be a pastor more than any other training I got in seminary. But I always think of that moment and that fear and that story on Pentecost Sunday. When we think about languages and understanding and confusion and diversity all swirling together. This Pentecost day, we tell every year the story of this beautifully strange event of tongues coming down like fire and landing on the followers of Christ. They were gathered all together in Jerusalem for the Jewish Feast of Weeks, and people had traveled from all over the region and world so that there were many different languages represented. But for some reason, when these tongues of fire touch the people, they can speak the words of God in any language, and people can hear it in their own. And they're proclaiming God's word and God's love in a variety of languages. And this is an astonishing and kind of terrifying thing, so much that the people that are watching have no explanation for it other than these people must be drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no, I know what's happening. This is the promise that we've been waiting for, God's promise of coming to live in us in a new way coming to live in each of us so close that we might feel. And that spirit, the text says, does not discriminate people that are touched of all ages across the whole spectrum of race and culture and gender and power and structure and economic class are able to prophesy in God's name, to say that is where God is moving. The spirit has come. There's another story in the Bible, the beginning of the Bible, that talks about community and communication and unity way back in Genesis 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And you might remember in this story, it says that the people all spoke one language. And they gathered together and they decided that they were going to settle and to build a city and then to build a gigantic tall tower that reached to the heavens. And the text says they wanted to build this tower so that we might make a name for ourselves. Some say they were trying to be like God, to reach as high as God to have that power. Others say they wanted to show a tower to show their power and their dominance so that other people groups that might come by would know who was in charge. It's like a watchtower, a way to keep people out. 
But whatever the motivation, God comes down and sees their work and knows that their unity was not used wisely. And so the story goes, God confused their languages so that they couldn't understand each other, and then the people scattered to all corners of the earth. Many people say that the story of Pentecost is a reversal of the story of Babel. That where in Babel people had been confused and sent out, now in Pentecost they come together and can understand a common language. They're both stories of communication and of unity, being broken and then being restored. We hear a lot about unity in our culture today, particularly in the political realm. We've had a lot of pressure and talk to unify and to be together and to move forward together. It's not new, though, One of the founding fathers, John Dickinson, is the one who was coined with the phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. And politicians have used words of unity in their campaign slogans and in their speeches since the beginning of American history. Even our current president, President Biden, has uh, revealed a unity agenda of some things that he identified If anything, we have the best chance of having Republicans and Democrats work together on these few things. Unity is something we think about and talk about a lot. Last winter, I went to a pastoral conference, and one of the workshops that I attended was about interfaith education. And the teachers of this workshop were phenomenal. There was a Jewish New Testament scholar and a Christian Old Testament scholar, and they wanted to teach about how we talk about struggles between religious groups within our own communities of faith. And the title of the workshop was Celebrating Difference. They said that they got pushback from the conference organizers when they presented this title, and the organizer said, don't you mean celebrating unity? Wouldn't that be a better title? If you're talking about interfaith things, surely we want to draw people to what we have in common. Our fear is that if you title it Celebrating Difference, people won't sign up for a workshop about division. I think we're often pressured into a kind of unity that's actually pretty shallow. If we look closely at the story of Babel and the story of Pentecost, we can see that unity itself isn't actually the point. In fact, in Babel, the people started off unified. They spoke one language, they communicated with each other well, they had a common goal and purpose, but their unity was off. There was something about it that wasn't holy. Their unity was rooted in fear. It was rooted in trying to be more powerful, trying to show dominance, trying to be exclusive. They had effective communication, didn't they? But it turns out good communication has the power to unify people for good and for evil. You know who's great 
at communicating gun rights special interest groups. They unify people over a fear of loss of freedom. But when you scratch the surface just a little bit, it looks a lot more like greed and a desire for power. When God punishes people in the story of Babel, the punishment wasn't about creating difference. The punishment was about condemning a unification based on fear and power. Unity wasn't the point. What the people did with their unity was the point. The Pentecost story shows people moving the other way toward a kind of unity and understanding. But there's something beautiful about it that I wonder if you noticed. The moment of Pentecost, when these flames came down on the people, they weren't automatically grouped together in this monolinguistic utopia. People maintained their own identities, their own languages, their own culture, their own history, but they could understand and speak. One scholar says no one had to abandon the culture that gave them identity in order to hear from God. In that way, I think that Pentecost is not so much a reversal of Babel, but a way to show us what Dr. Barreto calls the unifying spirit of God's love. The Holy Spirit becomes a binding agent, and that is what unifies them, not human sameness. Human sameness isn't the goal. Difference isn't division. We say that God created everyone in God's image across all lines of division and diversity. Diversity is actually a key ingredient for true unity. And we see research that shows that people in diverse settings are actually more collaborative and more creative, especially those with deep relationships across cultural boundaries. But our fascination with shallow unity has left a lot of people out, especially in the church. Many people report not going to church because they aren't like those people. In fact, just this past week, I had a conversation with a young person who said, church feels like a club that I know I will never belong to. This is particularly true for LGBTQ folks. For too long in the church, we have extended what we think is a welcome, but actually is a lot more like, you can be a guest if you become a little more like me. You can come and we can be unified, but you might have to start looking a little more like me, enjoying the same kind of music that I like, dressing like me, acting like me. Bishop Karen Olivito is the United Methodist Church's first openly gay bishop, and she was actually my bishop. I served in a United Methodist Church in Montana, and she offers this wonderful analogy about welcome. She says, as the church, we invite people in, all kinds of guests from all walks of life and different backgrounds, and we think we're being very welcoming, but it's more like we're hosting them for a dinner party. 
Now, when you go to somebody's house for a dinner party, there are certain rooms that you're expected to be in, right? You're allowed to be in the living room and the dining room and maybe the kitchen and a guest bathroom, but that's about it. If the host finds you wandering around their bedroom or the attic, they're going to have some questions for you, right? When we welcome people, it's one thing to call them a guest and have them in their spaces. But when we truly welcome people, we give them access to the whole house. And not just access, but the ability to take their shoes off, to jump on the bed, to rearrange the furniture, to hold positions of power, and to really move in. The strongest kind of unity is based not on sameness or fear or even common goal, but on recognizing God's spirit that dwells in each one of us. When we're unified in that way, when we recognize and celebrate difference, then we become people of true welcome. Friends, God's spirit dwells in you. And that means you have been given the great, miraculous gift of communication. I find it so amazing that when God's Spirit came, it showed itself not in acts of strength or feet or miracles of healing or parting seas, but of communication. That's how God's Spirit first showed up. We have a lot of things that we need to communicate about in our world today. Not just to stand on soapboxes and echo about in our own chambers, but to actually communicate about. Systems that create perpetual racism. A broken economic system that can churn out billions of pounds of plastic, but not figure out how to make enough formula for babies an affordable housing crisis, a culture of toxic masculinity where it is seen as weakness to show anything other than toughness. Pentecost is a miracle, and it's a miracle that we are still living in today. God's Spirit binds us together across the wide spectrum of our uniqueness, We're called to lean into those differences, not to run away from them or to gloss over them or to retreat from them, but to let those differences be the fodder for our communication. God's Spirit is described as coming in wind and in fire. Those are contagious. You can't help but be affected if you are near it. It isn't about being alone in a room and praying the right prayer and earning something. It's about being close to God's Spirit in a community of other people where we share stories of baptism and of song and the fire catches. Where do you long for unity in your life? Are you willing to let it be a unity rooted in God's Spirit and not just in certainty or fear? Are you near enough to communities of God's spirit to catch on fire alongside others? 
And can you recognize that spirit of God even in those who are most different from you? Only then will we actually understand the words of God and not just hear them. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are alive like a fire within each of us. Thank you for our uniqueness. Thank you for the uniqueness of all of those in this community, in this city, in this world. Help us to be a people of unity that highlights that spirit rather than our own goals. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.